well, this is a remarkable event. And uh, if it was a newspaper headline that said, Jumping for Joy, the subtitle would tell you why it was such a remarkable story. Perhaps it would have read something like, Man crippled from birth, healed instantly. But as we look at this story together briefly this morning, before the baptisms, there is something even more remarkable, which we learn from the explanation of what happened given by Peter on that particular day, the man through whom it had happened. In fact, what I want to suggest to you this morning is, if we look at this story together, there are three remarkable facts in this story. So let's start with the first and most obvious one. First of all, there is a remarkable miracle recorded in the first ten verses. Last Sunday, if you were here, and you can listen on the internet if you want to download it or get a, a DVD from the tape library, if you're trying to keep up with our series and you happen to miss last week. Uh, last week, we focused on the amazing event that occurred on the Jewish festival of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the followers of Jesus, 120 of them, and prompting them to rush out into the streets, telling people all about God in languages they'd never learned before. A huge crowd of people gathered, and Peter again stood up and explained what had happened. And as a result of his message, 3,000 people responded and were baptized on that one day. Uh, we've got three people being baptized today, two this morning, one this evening. How we talk with 3,000, I'm not sure, but I'd be quite happy to find out. Speak to me afterwards if you're interested. Uh, but if anyone thought that what happened on the day of Pentecost was a one-off occurrence, they were much mistaken. Nothing would ever be the same again. For God had poured out His Spirit on people. And where the Holy Spirit of God is at work, nothing is ever the same. Because the Holy Spirit acts like wind and fire disturbing the status quo. And we learn at the end of Acts 2 verse 43, which we studied last Sunday evening, that many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And the man who wrote this book, and the author of, Luke, uh, of Acts, is a man called Luke. He records one particular incident here in chapter 3. One particular wonderful miracle. Uh, perhaps the first one that occurred. Which, as we've seen, draws a huge crowd of people. And once again, Peter uses it as an opportunity to explain uh, what had happened. And what his hearers should do as a result. So let's think about the event itself. The chapter begins by just saying one day. Just a normal day in the life of the apostles. A normal day in the city of Jerusalem. Peter and John go up to the temple, and you always went up to the temple, because in Jerusalem it was right on the top, the highest spot, Mount Zion. And so Peter and John went up to pray, and we're told at three o'clock in the afternoon. In those days, people particularly prayed every day, Twice, once in the morning at nine o'clock and once at three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, they did this for a particular reason, because the priests who offered sacrifices in the inner part of the temple that only they could go into, offered sacrifices for sins twice a day. So as it were, there was a window of opportunity to get through to God at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. And so crowds of people were streaming up with the same purpose, to pray. And among them is the man who was going there for another purpose. He's going there to earn a living, or, or strictly not to earn a living, but to gain a living. For we read that this particular man has been a cripple since birth. And so he depends on the charity of other people. 
As he can't walk, he's probably got a squad of friends and people who carry him every day up to the temple, and he usually goes at the same time as well. Why? Well, obviously, because there's crowds of people going up to the temple to worship, to pray, and there he sits with his begging bowl, and it's an opportunity for the worshippers to do what God tells them, to fulfill their religious duty by dropping coins in his begging bowl. And his particular favorite spot is a beautiful gate, called, well, it's called a beautiful gate. Most people think it's, it's what was called the Nicana Gate. It's a picture of it, if you can see the screen. Uh, it was a huge, great gate that was beautifully ornamented. And, and it was called, nicknamed, the Beautiful Gate. Here he is at his prime begging spot. If you've been in Edinburgh any length of time, you probably know there are prime spots for people to sit who, who beg, even in our city. A few years ago, we had a man who used to sit outside Charlotte Chapel every week because I think he thought this was a good spot. Uh, and our church officer spoke to him and he said he made about £40 a day during the week. I comment on that. But this particular man had a, had a prime spot where he used to beg. So there he is. It's just another day for him. And he's been there all his life, probably, over 40 years old, we learn in the next chapter. And he just goes there day after day after day. And Peter and John go up to pray. And I'm pretty sure they've probably passed the same guy before. It may even be possible that Jesus himself has passed this man during the three years of his ministry going into the temple. But this is going to be a very special day because it's God's day for this man. So as they go through the gate, there's the man sitting, you can imagine it, with his begging bowl. And he's crying out for alms, A-L-M-S. Or in today's parlance, he's probably saying, spare change, pals. And Peter and John, prompted by God, turn to the man. We read, they fix their eyes on him. And Peter says, look at us. So notice what the man expected. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. What do you think he expected? Money. A few coins. But notice instead what the man received. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And to his and everyone's amazement, the man received far more than he expected. Peter reaches down, grabs him by the right hand, Pulls him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Uh, Luke, who wrote this book, is a trained doctor. He's very careful about recording medical details. And it's an instant miracle. The guy doesn't need, he doesn't say to him, right now, just take it easy, and you need to go and see the physio for the next six months to get your muscles back to strength. He's never walked for 40 years. Now, instantly, his ankles, his feet... He's strong again, so much so, you can imagine, it's a wonderful story. Imagine, here's this guy and he, he sort of totters around trying to walk and then he thinks, wow, I can do this. And then he just, I've never done this in Charlotte Chapel, he, he begins to jump up and down, you know, jumping for joy. It's far more than he expected. It's an absolutely, it's a radical change, which we discover came about because Peter performed the miracle and the man believed it because it was done in the name of Jesus, through faith in Jesus. A radical change through faith in Jesus. Let me pause a minute and ask, 
I wonder what sort of expectations you had as you came into Charlotte Chapel this morning. Maybe you've been here at the same time, and I know some of you sit in the same places every week because I spot you and look at you and think, oh, that's so-and-so's there this morning. Oh, yeah, you're up there. You're on the back row. Front row. Some of you keep me on my toes by moving around, which is not a bad idea. Um, but I wonder what, you re- what are your expectations this morning? Maybe you just need some help to limp through another week. Uh, jumping is not even on your agenda. Or maybe you're here for the first time. And like the man in the story, if, if truth were told, there are certain things you'd really appreciate at this particular time in your life. Maybe in our present financial crisis, may, maybe you need some money to enable you to pay your bills, meet your needs. Maybe this morning you've got other needs. Maybe a relationship need. Maybe your marriage is in a mess. Maybe a family need. You're concerned about someone in your family. Maybe you're concerned about your job. All of us come together on a day like this with all sorts of needs. And maybe you've been carried here by your friends, not literally, but dragged along because they said, well, you better come this morning. Now, none of those things are unimportant. But God is able to do what I want to say this morning, not on my authority, but like Peter, on the authority of Jesus Christ, God is able to do far more than you expect. More than even physical healing. Uh, This week I saw a very moving DVD of a young Australian man, some of you may have seen it on YouTube, who was born with no arms and legs. It's a remarkable, moving video. I've had the time I would have shown it this morning. Uh, And he shared how Jesus Christ had met and was continuing to meet his deepest needs. Uh, And as we'll see in a moment, our greatest need the greatest miracle of all is to be forgiven and restored to the relationship with God for which we've been made. And that is possible through Jesus Christ. And when that happens, it's the most radical change of all. Here's some words from the New Testament that describe it. It says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. And I simply want to say to you this morning, God can do for you far more than you expect, instantly. And when he does, as with this man, as with this healed man, it is a powerful testimony. Look at verse 9, it says, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man, who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The American pastor and preacher Warren Wiersbe comments, the best defense of the truth of the Christian faith is a changed life. The healed beggar was exhibit A in Peter's defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a baptismal service like this provides powerful testimonies of those whose lives have been changed by Jesus and an opportunity, as it was for Peter the Apostle, for me, Peter the Pastor, in much more fumbling words, to explain what it's all about. And Peter explains the key to this remarkable miracle is the second remarkable fact about the story. It's a remarkable miracle focusing on a remarkable person. Everyone is astonished For they all recognize that this is the same man who used to sit begging 
for the past 40 years in the same place. Now he's walking and jumping and praising God. So they all come running to Solomon's, we're told it's to a place called Solomon's Colonnade, which was a long covered porch that ran along the eastern edge of the temple. People used to gather there. Jesus himself taught there just a few weeks previously. And Peter gives an explanation as to what has happened to the crowd who gather. He begins by leaving them in no doubt about who did it. Who has made the lame man walk? By clearing the confusion. Verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? He says, It's not our power or piety that's made him walk. No, Jesus, no, says Peter. It's someone else. And he begins to focus directly for the rest of his message, not on them, but on Jesus, focusing on Jesus in the next few verses. And and, and he explains who Jesus is and how he's able to do this. If you look at the verse in front of us, he gives three different titles to Jesus that explain who Jesus is. Let Let me follow through just briefly with you and see where he's going with this. First of all, he says, Jesus, verse 13, is the servant of the Lord. He says, this is the one who revealed himself to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as the Lord. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And as you read through the Old Testament, you get this wonderful picture of Jesus as God's servant, but a servant who strangely suffers for his people. The book of Isaiah particularly tells us all about the suffering of Jesus. So Peter says, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. Now he's talking about things that happened only a few weeks previously. This crowd knew about it. Many of them would have been there, crying for the death of Jesus, crucify him. And he says, this is unjust, because Jesus is the holy and righteous one, verse 14. He's the completely innocent victim who is murdered, while a murderer is freed. You disown the holy and righteous one, ask that a murderer be released to you. If you know the story in the Gospels, uh, Pilate, the Roman governor, offered two alternatives. Kind of like one of these terrible programs, you know, but this is high stakes. Who do you want to be crucified? Barabbas, who is a condemned criminal, a murderer, robber, or Jesus? And the crowd say, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And the irony of this is that the one who is killed, is the author of life. That's the third thing it says about Jesus. The one who gives life, who is killed by men, yet raised from the dead by God. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And Peter says, we know about this because we've seen him. We are eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We are witnesses of this, says Peter. So, can you see what he's saying? He's saying, you think that Jesus was crucified. But in actual fact, he's now been raised from the dead, glorified by God, and he's the one in his name that we have the power to heal this man because Jesus is the one with the authority and the power to heal. And so he draws the conclusion in verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he's given this complete healing to him as you can see. You see, Jesus, the one whom they crucified, now continues to work in power. This book is called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of Jesus continuing through the Apostles because when Jesus was on earth, 
he healed people. Now through his apostles, he is able to heal people even today. But these miracles are signs. Like the miracles of Jesus, they're signs that sign, that point to something far greater, to who Jesus is and what he came to do. So notice from Peter's explanation a third remarkable fact as we draw to a conclusion. A remarkable miracle. Secondly, a remarkable person. And finally, a remarkable offer. A remarkable offer. Notice that Peter has already emphasized very strongly responsibility for the death of Jesus. He says to the crowd, you did it. See what he says? You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One. You killed the author of life. But maybe Peter remembers that he also disowned Jesus. For identifying with the crowd as brothers, he says, you did it, even though you didn't realize what you were doing. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. That goes the words of Jesus. You remember as he was crucified, he said, Father... Forgive them, they don't know what they are doing. But what they did was part of God's great plan. He says, you did it, but God planned it, verse 18. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. In the Bible Speaks Today commentary on Acts, John Stott comments, although they didn't know what they were doing, God knew what he was doing. God had this plan in place. But they were responsible, and so Peter tells them what they must do. He says, repent then, and turn to God. To repent means to change your mind, and so change direction. And to turn to God means to change direction towards God. To line yourself up with God's plan, centered here on Jesus. And I simply want to say today, that we need to take that same decisive action today. You see, you might say, well, quite rightly, none of us was physically present when Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago. Obviously not. None of us cried out, crucify him. Nonetheless, the reason Jesus died on a cross, had to die as God's plan, was because each one of us has turned and gone our own way. The Bible describes us like sheep who each turn to their own way and go our own way. And it's this rebellion that meant that Jesus had to die on the cross. A modern hymn expresses it well. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice. Call out among the scoffers, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Now here's the remarkable offer. It's far more than we deserve. When we repent, when we turn to God, God makes an amazing offer which encompasses our past, our present, and our future. First of all, the past. He says, turn to God, repent and turn to God, so your sins may be wiped out. In ancient times, people would write in ink on papyrus. But the ink that they used in those days, unlike the ink that we use, had no acid in it. Our modern ink eats into paper, so you can't wipe it out again. It's permanent, or fairly permanent. But in those days, the ink they used had no acid, and so if you wrote something on papyrus, you could simply get a wet sponge and just wipe over it, and it would be removed. 
completely. You couldn't read what was there before. Disappeared without trace. I, I guess if Peter was preaching today, you might say, repent and turn to God so your sins will be deleted. You know, on the computer, when you press the button and it deletes. And here's the good news. God has no recycle bin that brings it back again. And that's what happens when God forgives our sins. He wipes them out. He chooses to remember them no more. And he's able to do this because Jesus took the place that we deserve in our place, like he did for Barabbas, the murderer. Now let me ask you this morning, think of all the bad things you've done, even the ones you remember, the things you're ashamed of, the things you'd run out of this room from if they were put upon this screen behind me, the things that fill you still with guilt and shame, the things you've done against God, and this morning God says, because Jesus took your place, if you turn to him, if you repent, turn to him, trust in Christ, God will wipe them out. Remember them no more. Completely fresh start. Isn't, isn't that amazing? What a wonderful offer. But there's more. He says there's something else as well. What he calls times of refreshing from the Lord. He says when you turn to God, he not only wipes out the past, but in the present, you have this new relationship with God, which he describes as times of refreshing from the Lord. It's a kind of lovely theme, really. The idea is of something cooling to relieve trouble or maybe to heal an angry wound. It's used in that kind of context. To cool a raging fever. I remember, and some of you remember, I've told you about this before, I remember many years ago when we lived out in a, in a village in a mud house in Nigeria getting malaria. The worst fever I've ever had and hope ever to have. And just absolutely just raging pain and headache uh, and you just feel like you're going to die. And then eventually, after a few hours, it just suddenly broke. And I remember the, the breeze coming through the window, out the door, and it's kind of a refreshing breeze. And suddenly, a, a cooling and refreshment. Now, it's that, it's that sort of idea. Can you imagine that? Well, you've probably not had malaria, thankfully, but believe me, it's that sort of experience. Times of refreshing from the Lord. Think of another time, many years ago, I was trekking in the south of Nepal, which is not like the north with the mountains, it's flat and hot. Uh, and a friend and I were, were walking along a, a, a dust road, the wind was blowing, we'd drunk all our liquid, and we were just absolutely exhausted. And a guy came along in the jeep and gave us a lift to the next village, and they got a Coke machine, you know? Well, that, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, you walked in there, and if you've ever felt like that, listen, this is really hot, you know, this is 50 degrees centigrade heat, you know, walking in. It's completely dried out. And the guy, you know, they bring an ice cold, this is not an advert for Coke, it could have been a Pepsi, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, even just holding that cool bottle to your face, you know, it's, oh, it's lovely, you know, and just, oh, give me another. <laughs> it's that kind of refreshing. Now these are all pictures that God uses of his Holy Spirit. Times of refreshing from the Lord. Uh, it says that the Holy Spirit is like the wind blowing, refreshing. Holy Spirit is like water welling up within you, refreshing you inwardly, uh, bringing you great joy and relief. Uh, and what God promises, he'll not only forgive your past, but he'll give you his presence in the present through his Spirit. Times of refreshing from the Lord. And not only that, this is an amazing offer, especially, think for a moment, we don't deserve this. 
God gives us what we don't expect, what we don't deserve. And he says the future, the time for God to restore everything. He says, God has got a plan for the future, to restore everything. There's going to be a new plan for the whole of the universe, heaven and earth. All the suffering in the world is going to be put to rest. There's going to be restoration. It's just going to be reversing all the terrible effects of when our first parents rebelled against God. And Peter says, you remember our Hebrew scriptures? They foretold this through the prophets. From Moses who promised a future leader to Samuel anointed King David promised an eternal kingship. All the prophets, they're all waiting for God's final plan to come into place. And when you turn and align yourself with God, you can become part of that future. God's future. Uh, uh, Bishop Tom Wright in his popular Acts for Everyone writes, Heaven is the place where God's purposes for the future are stored up like pieces of a stage set waiting in the wings for the final great act of the play. When Jesus finally reappears, heaven and earth will come together as one. That will be the great renewal of all things. And Peter says, this is God's future that was promised. Now he says, you kill God's promised Messiah. It was your sin that put him there, but if you turn to God, he offers you something far more than you deserve. Your past is wiped out. Your presence, God, is with you by His Spirit. Your future, you'll be part of God's future great plan. So what's the most important thing? Here it is. Don't miss out. He concludes, and I conclude by saying, don't miss out. Make sure you listen. Verse 22, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. That's Jesus. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. You'll miss out if you don't listen carefully. So he tells them to make sure you listen to this prophet and make sure you repent. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Don't miss out. So here's the conclusion. Almost finished. One more minute. What was first offered to Jews is now offered to everyone. Because most of us aren't Jewish by background. It's now offered to everyone through faith in Jesus. We receive far more than we expect. Far more than we deserve. So don't miss out. And I conclude by saying, take decisive action today. Line yourself up with God's plan. Turn from going your own way against God. Turning your back against God. Turn towards God. Put your trust in Jesus. Declare it by being baptized. Align yourself with God and say, I belong to Jesus Christ. And when you do, the Bible says, they'll be rejoicing in heaven. And maybe even in Edinburgh, in Charlotte Chapel, jumping. In Edinburgh, jumping in Charlotte Chapel. Let's just pray together.